Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, Aim Coach, and this is episode 134. The Weekly Word Podcast is an ultra-endurance resource. On this podcast, we talk more than just training. Each episode, I try to dive into all the aspects of ultra-endurance, strength, recovery, nutrition, mindset, and sleep. And while the current environment might have changed where we go about our training, or what we are able to train, it does not change the why or the how. As we know, I train some of the most extreme ultra-endurance athletes in the world. Currently, they are indoors, limited on equipment and time, but we still have the same focus on why we are doing this and how we want to go about our daily approach with intention, clarity, and purpose. No more than ever do we need to maximize our limited training time, space, and equipment. There's so much we can do. So let's talk about that today. And one of the first things I need to talk about is that I'm recording in my truck. It might be some different background noises. The main reason I'm recording in my truck is with four kids at home and activities and schoolwork and different schedules. Some go to school at different hours with regards to private school or how they're getting their daily schedule from their teachers. Nobody's ever sitting quietly for very long. And so I had to get out of the house in order to have some quiet time to record this. So please bear with me as I am here recording in my truck. Some of you have asked how I'm doing or what I'm doing. Four kids, like I just said, Emily not able to sit up or drive or leave the house. Well, actually, none of us can leave the house. I've surely shifted my own training. There no longer is swimming, but I have an opportunity to try new things in strength and stretch cords, step ups, etc. I've reacquainted myself with my bike since I can't run currently. And overall, I'm enjoying the learning and application of new skills or old skills that are now more applicable. Daily, I'm testing some new modalities, trying some new formats on the kicker or stretch cords or strength or body movements, chassis integrity. But that also allows me to train daily. Soon, I will return to running and this balance of strength, bike, run along with core and other components will be plenty. My mindset is one of being ready. I'm constantly asking myself who I want to be on the other side of this as a father, as a partner, as a coach, as an athlete, because it is times of adversity like this that allows us to reset some of the usual patterns and curate build, introduce, and evaluate new values and if we want to keep them on the other side of this. As I've said to many of my athletes, Nietzsche said in A.K. Homo, become who you are. And this has been interpreted by many psychologists and philosophers in many different ways. But to me, it means something that is already within us. We just need to bring it forth, forward, become, grow, evolve to something that already is who you are. It is written as who you are, or at least so it is in German, growing into yourself, something that is within you, as I've talked about on this podcast, the truth of who you are. 
who I was prior to the crisis and who I will be on the end of, other end of it, who I hope to become, to grow to, to evolve to, to bring out more of me that already is. This might mean letting go of the athlete self a bit, at least my athlete self, the way I view myself or the routines and patterns and self-expression I've been in for the last 30 plus years. Letting go that grip that holds me and accepting that the new athlete that I might be becoming in this time, the one that explores outside of that routine and the rituals that I've known. I'm still an athlete daily, but how does that self become? How does it grow? How does it evolve? That's what I'm currently working on. What are the things that I want to pull out of me that have not been needed over time over the last many years? Using this stoppage time, as I call it, stoppage time of events ahead, stoppage time of athletes having events ahead, and focusing on using this time to bring forth talents, abilities, knowledge that we all have within us, but because of this pause, because of this stoppage time, we have a time to sort of massage that out of us a little bit and see what we have within us, the truth within us, and the talents within us, and the knowledge and learning within us, and kick out of this on the other side with a little bit extra, with knowing ourselves a little bit better. This brings me to the can versus will relationship, because this time of adversity creates this question for us. It's not an unfamiliar relationship to us, and it brings about a sense of confidence. Can we do something, especially those of us that listen to this in an endurance community? We feel pretty good about our can. We feel pretty good about the ability to take on a challenge. The discipline and the perseverance of can and will we do it. We feel pretty good about the work we need to do for the can, the learning for the can, the sacrifice for the can when there are events. But currently there are no events and there's uncertainty. So our relationship with can versus will might have changed or might be changing. Can is about competence and ability. And most of us can answer that with a yes. Will is about attitude, mindset, and execution. Many of us have been in this space before. Being that we see events that we are interested in, interested in doing, adventures that seem to pique our curiosity, but we go through this exercise, this exchange, can we do them? Yeah, probably feel pretty good about that. But will we? Well, many cases we don't. Often we don't realize we are making these choices, a choice not to do it. It might not be the right time. It might sacrifice too much of our work or professional time or family time. Or we might have not have the financial resources to take on that expedition, that adventure. Constantly, we are going through this can and will relationship. And in endurance sports, you might even argue it's the other way around. One might argue that will we train for something is not the question. But can we actually do the event? When we do a 100 miler and we've never done, let's say, a 50 miler, and we're looking to jump from a 50K to, let's say, to a 100 miler, the question is not, are we familiar with the training? 
Will we be able to train? We're able to train because we already have done, let's say, a 50K of training. But the question is, can we actually complete 100 miles? Can we actually do that expedition, that adventure? Can we actually do an Ironman and swim 2.4 miles when we're just not that good at swimming? All these things become a can question. So it flips the relationship that many of us might be familiar with. That is also fear, curiosity, and growth. The can we, but we know the will. We've shown the discipline and the perseverance and the will to do it before. We know how to train and have shown the will, but we're left with the can question. But yet here we are in this current environment, going through this current crisis. And that again, it again, has changed this relationship of can and will. Now it is no longer a question of can. There's too much uncertainty. There are no dates. Things are getting postponed. But will we continue to push forward, prepare, sacrifice, show the discipline? Will we endure despite no fixed future event, adventure, or date? Am I willing to do the work in order for an uncertain can to unfold? Usually, in normal times, this sentence reads as, Am I willing to do the work in order for the can to unfold? But we added, life added, circumstances added a level of complexity to this. And that is where this gets interesting, stepping out on that diving board into that uncertainty and looking out into it, into that adversity and having it look back at us. Have we shown the discipline, the consistency, the will to stand out on that limb, on that diving board with confidence? That is where we currently are. I choose for you, choose for myself and for all of you listening, to be ready, to be confident, to be fit, to be inspired, to be proud and hardened by this time. What do I need by proud? Proud that you did the work, that you stuck with it, that you are here on the other side of this with having shown what you did. Can you have an athlete's mindset through this time? But will you? Can you versus will you in training? Can you do the training as prescribed, the zones, the effort, the easy on easy days, the hard on hard days, etc.? But will you? Can you push through this time? Probably. But will you? Will we work for it? Will we persevere when doubts creep in, when circumstances change like currently? Life doesn't give us a road of all green lights. But you need to be in the game. You need to be ready to take advantage of a few green lights when they happen. That's the current traffic pattern we're in. There's a bunch of red lights coming up. For a long time, there were a lot of green lights, but now there's a bunch of red lights. But when those lights turn green again, who will we be? Will we be ready? Will we be able and strong and confident and proud and hardened by this time? That's the question. Can you progress as an athlete to, through this time, as a person? I, I'm confident you can, but will you? That's always our choice. Can we do something? I think most of us are pretty confident that we can. But will we? 
Am I willing to do the work in order for the can to unfold? We currently might not be, in it, be able to see what that can is, but the can presents itself in so many ways, often in ways we never envisioned. And when that uncertain can unfolds, I want to be ready. As we go through this stoppage time, the one I was talking about, it's a great time to think on what we want to work on. We might not be training, or we might not, most of us are not training the hours that we're familiar with that we usually train. But it gives us an opportunity to analyze and look at what we're doing, not just from a training modality, but in our technique. Can we record ourselves running on a treadmill and break it down and see what we look like? Can we see ourselves on a trainer and how our pedal stroke is and our posture is and our arrow position is and how we ride on that trainer and our cadences and so forth? Can we look at ourselves doing stretch cords or on a tether in a pool, open water swimming, having somebody uh, uh, film us? All these are opportunities to stop and slow down and look at what we're doing and maybe do it better. Use this stoppage time. Use this moment in time where nothing really is of an urgency on the horizon because events are being postponed to work on technique, to work on fundamentals, to work on improving ourselves despite less hours to train. Those are the beautiful things in this current time. This might be a great time to think of it differently of some days are just practice, not a workout. And by practice, I mean working on the fundamentals, going through the motions, but not from an intensity level or a duration level, but a clean motions level. That's what practice is in many cases. It's not a workout. We're not looking to increase our heart rate or do something for a long period of time. But instead, we're looking to practice it clean, purposeful practice, clean practice. When you're on the treadmill, hearing yourself run, the lighter you run, can you make that sound decrease more and more of your feet tapping on the treadmill? On the trainer, whether it's a kicker or with a, the tire attached, how do you hear yourself riding? Can you make that smoother, calmer, softer? When you're sw doing stretch cords, can you find a rhythm? Can you click into the right form and the pull and in the channel properly? Not with a lot of resistance, meaning standing far back, but just going through nice, clean motions. Can you look at yourself as you're pulling through? Can you improve that technique? That's what this time would be incredibly valuable for. No, it doesn't need to be for six weeks, but taking a few minutes here and there, a day here and there of this week or next week to capture that information, analyze it, and go through it. Some of you have asked about these swim tethers, and I don't have a lot of experience with them. I've used them before, but the important thing there is, as well as with the stretch cords, you have the ability to work on your form and technique, but when you're using it as a workout, remember to have an opportunity, an option to change the effort levels, the speed levels, the intensity levels, because any type of training requires a change in effort. Doing one thing at one speed for many hours, many days, many months in a row will net you efficiency at one speed. But we want to do things faster, better, stronger, or longer, 
right? And therefore, changes in intensity, changes in effort level is truly what training is. That's the stimulus. You know, stretching the rubber band, letting it relax, stretching the rubber band, letting it relax. Just keeping it stretched or just keeping it relaxed is not a training stimulus. That's just a movement. And so with a swim tether, I would say similarly, make sure you're getting the proper resistance changes, the proper turnover cadence changes. Maybe you go easier on the tether and swim with a longer distance per stroke, and then you go harder on the tether with a higher turnover and a choppier stroke just to change the feel for the water. But the beauty of a tether is that you are in the water moving your hand through the channel with that resistance, and that could be helpful. And those of you that have the opportunity to it, I would definitely recommend it. What I can do is if you send me an email or send me a note, I can break it down a little bit, maybe not with regards to a video, but thinking of a few sets or workout um, formats that could work for you. Maybe I'll bring that up on the next podcast. So that's swim tethers. I also have heard from so many of you, including myself, not I'm not hearing from myself, but I felt it myself, how bad we all are at pull-ups. A lot of you are doing pull-ups currently in your home gym, or you don't have the ability to do pull-ups and you're trying it on something else, or you're doing horizontal push-up pull-ups, like I say, I suggest for a lot of people where you're hanging from something um, horizontally and you pull yourself up. Again, just anything to pull your body weight. And a lot of you have mentioned how frustrating it is to do only one pull-up or two pull-ups or maybe four or three. But this is a skill we gradually work on and get better at. It's frustrating and I feel the same way. I used to not be able to do a lot of pull-ups at all. And now I can do sets of a few pull-ups only, but many of them. And gradually will work my way up also to being able to do many of them versus many sets of a few of them. But it's a power to weight ratio. And a lot of us being lower body strength people, athletes, right? Running, cycling is so lower body athlete heavy. Um, Rowers, uh, triathletes. So the swimming time that many of us spend and working on bulk or strength or muscular strength on the upper body to create enough power to pull our lower, heavier part of our body up is not something we do. And that's why pull-ups are so frustrating. We all carry, not all, but many of us in the running, cycling, triathlon, endurance space use so much of our legs to do everything. So our legs are the bulk of our body weight. So when we're asked with our upper body that isn't strong or bulky um, to pull up the heavier part of our body, our legs, it makes sense that we can't do pull-ups. So don't beat yourself up with it. Up with it. Don't beat yourself up about it. And let's just work on a line in the sand. And today I did two, two and a half. Tomorrow I did two and a half or three. Next week I'll maybe have a day where I do four. And a couple of weeks from now you'll be doing six or seven. It is what it is with regards to progress and we're moving forward. It's not something we'll need and part of our competition, but it is a great upper body workout tool. So keep that in mind. I got some feedback on the stretch cords video and I wanted to share it to all of you. Applied everything from the video. While my form was not too far off, the small things helped tremendously. Again, back to 
What are the details? How do I see myself pulling through the channel? How can I be doing this better in this time of time standing still? Moving the anchor higher up on almost the top of the door height really made a difference. For many doing stretch cords, that is important. Um, you don't want to have it too high so you're just pulling straight down and you're not bending at the waist. You want your pull and your spine to be somewhat horizontal, maybe not completely horizontal, but if the stretch cord's too low, you're constricting your lower back and your hip angle so small that it is hard to maintain that position for a long time. So getting to a place where your arms hang relaxed in the neutral position makes a big difference. As this athlete wrote, I had been more on doorknob height. This relieved my low back quite a bit. I also felt better tension from the Superman position. Felt much better lat engagement and more scapular retraction. When our stretch cords hang higher, our neutral position of our hands extended out in front of us stay more in a horizontal relaxed space. Remember, if the stretch cords are lower, your neutral position, your hands in that relaxed space where the tension of the stretch cord is holding your arm up is going to be a lot lower than our shoulders and so forth. And so it creates a bizarre position. So I would recommend top of the door um, or at least um, when you're standing a little bit higher than head height. That's always a good gauge because then when you lean over, those cords will hold your arms up as your torso remains in the horizontal position. Um, getting a bit more extension in the shoulder was key later in the set when the high elbow starts to want the fade. Correct. Also building some momentum rather than catch up. Um, the, the entire set made the workout flow better. Yes, there's a variety of ways we can mix it up. A variety of single arm pulls, then you do catch up pulls, then you do quick um, almost catch up pulling, then you do double arm pulling. Remember the arm just is pulling through the channel. That's what you're counting. So if it's double arm, that is still a pull through the channel. Single arm, many single arms in a row. At the end of the workout, when you've done a thousand pulls for that one arm in a variety of different formats with a different set uh, rest interval, that at the end of the day is the, the load that we're looking for. A thousand pulls per arm on pulling through the channel properly. I mix it up with some different exercises as you guys all saw with uh, some chest flies and some tricep work and so forth. But that's just to change muscle groups. And I don't count those towards my thousand pulls through the channel. It's about the thousand pulls through the channel as you're going through some stretch cord work. The other thing that I didn't bring up on that video is that I often do core work in my recovery between sets. So let's say I do 150 pulls and then I'll do some core work for about a minute or two and then go back to pulls. Now you see that there's more rest happening there um, than 30 or 60 seconds between sets, but because it's still engaging and core work, it's not full rest. And so I move through it pretty quickly of going core and stretch cords. I also do jump rope and stretch cords. So I finish my set, do a 150 jump rope jumps, then back to stretch cords and so forth. So there's maybe 10 seconds in transition between cords and jump rope, jump rope back to cords, but it just mixes things up and you usually have some music going and it gives you a good full body workout, lower legs, upper body, 
some core, throw it all in there. Now you have an hour and a half of stretch cords, core, and jump rope. That's a pretty solid workout, if you ask me. Let's jump to an email here. Hi, Chris. I hope you're well during these crazy times. Thank you for all you do. Any chance you and Rich Roll could collaborate during this time for a discussion? I bet a lot of people would appreciate that. I've listened to those discussions many, many times and always find value and insight. I am working on coordinating that, you know, obviously with the social distancing and me being in San Francisco and him being in the LA area, we'll have to figure that out. And also Rich has a variety of other, I would say, more important people on than me and the training discussion. So hopefully we can schedule that pretty soon and get that out because I agree um, how to train through this time and keep an endurance and ultra endurance um, approach going, I think would be valuable in general. Also, I find myself training in the gray zone most of the time because I just trail run for fun exploration. But after hearing so much about the value of zone two, this sounds like a perfect time to adopt Adapt the body to the lower effort for a stronger base while spending more time outside. And being that we need to minimize stress on our bodies to avoid illness, this seems like the best approach right now. Any thoughts would be appreciated. So first of all, yes, training in the gray zone is what you want to avoid either way. Because if you're going out for trail run just for fun and exploration, that's great. But you can still put purpose into that fun and exploration. So, for example, when you go out and you just want to do a brain off run, you just go run and you keep the, but you check yourself a few times to make sure that the effort is easy enough that you don't think of it as a prescription or intentional workout. And then other days you might say, you know, I want some speed and turnover and effort in this and I want to push a little bit harder. Well, those could be your quality days, but you want to separate the two. You don't just always want to be in the same space as I was talking about earlier. Training with intention versus just going through the motions. There is a great value of zone two right now because for most, when they start on zone two, they're doing a lot of walking, hiking to keep the heart rate down. And again, with this stoppage time, with this downtime, with this time where this land where time stood still, we can do those things and not worry about that we're not keeping up with our future desired outcome, right? If you're now is the greatest time to work on zone two because there are no there are no events in the future or there's uncertainty with when those events will be. And so again, we're using this stoppage time to build a better engine and a better outcome. And then once the sense of urgency towards an event or clarity towards an event um, and certainty towards an event comes up again, we can go back to training with specificity, more intentionality or not necessarily intentionality because zone two requires a lot of intention, clarity and purpose, but more we can satisfy those insecurities that we might have that we're walking a lot. And hopefully by the time we kick out of this, you've built enough of a zone two engine that at zone two, many of you are riding, uh, excuse me, riding, running instead of walking. So a great time to worry working this on this. I agree with you. And um, again, using this time to the maximize it to the best of our ability. So send me an Matthias or Matthias, I'm not sure. Send me an email with your five by one and we'll determine your zone zone two and zone three and zone four 
from there. And yeah, absolutely. Use this time to the best of your ability. And finally this week, to keep things a little bit shorter, because there's content coming out every few days, or at least I'm trying to, I wanted to address a couple of my athletes' questions, concerns, but also approaches to them working in the ER, in ICUs, in hospitals, and so forth. I've got heard from a few of them on how they're prepping for three, four, five days or three, four days of a shift. And it's important to, number one, acknowledge the amazing work that they're doing and how brave, courageous, and selfless they are by doing their job like this in this environment. But the other thing I wanted to bring up, and that I told my athletes, but I wanted to share on here for all of you that are also endurance athletes, but also working in this current environment with regards to ERs, ICUs, and such. Those are days we take off. I need you, we need you to stay healthy and strong and to add training, any training to those days of long shifts and exhausting shifts, as well as anything that could weaken the immune system in any way, I'd much rather, and I highly recommend that you take those three, four days off. That's fine. Your fitness is not going anywhere. Take those days off and get sleep and get good nutrition, recover, regenerate, rebuild, so that your body kicks out of this as strong and, or not out of this, but out of the three, four day window, strong, resilient, and healthy. And any type of addition to compromising the immune system, because training does, we want to avoid. Coming home exhausted, or also um, emotionally exhausted and fatigued, and then adding a workout, you might say, well, I just needed to get my blood flowing, get the body going. I understand that. And for some of you, that might make you stronger, healthier. I get it. But overall, the big picture is to keep in mind that anything that compromises the immune system and instead focusing on sleep and rebuilding and getting in some good, healthy food will be important. And then once done with those three, four days, you get a good night's sleep. And then the next day we train or we return to some sort of endurance work or some sort of modality and training function. And you'll find because of those three, four days in sleep and good nutrition, you actually feel really good and you are absorbing the training. I have this conversation with so many athletes with what it means to absorb the training, to feel good that the training I'm doing is actually making me stronger, progressing. In order for that to happen, to feel that the right way, it means you're almost undertrained. It feels like you could do more and you're bouncing off the walls despite having done a training session. That means you are totally absorbing the training. And so for our frontline healthcare workers and doctors and ER nurses and ICU attendees and so forth. As we're going through this, really consider to not train on those days and get good sleep and good nutrition because we're counting on you and we care for you and what you're doing is so helpful and meaningful to the overall community for all of us.
I want nothing but <laughs> strength and resilience and health for you. All right, you guys, have a great few days. As thoughts come up, as emotions come up, as insights come up, I try to record them and get them out to you so that there's a variety of different um, approaches and content and motivation out there for you to continue to train, continue to be ready, continue to do the can versus will relationship, continue to think, how do I want to kick out on the other side of this? Who do I want to be? Become who you are because of this time. Not what it did to you, but how it worked for you. Have a great few days. Stay healthy. Stay fit. Stay positive.